1: Hi, I'm Keegan and I'm Madigan and you're listening to
0: your Your angry Angry neighborhood Neighborhood feminist.
1: Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. And this week we're talking about male airline pilots. (laughs) (laughs) We were just saying how when we were doing the prep for this episode and we put it into Google that that's what came up for Madigan and for me it was all like articles about the differences between men and women's fight or flight response which is
2: fascinating yeah. I would love to know about that I'm sure with men a lot of times it's fight and women it's like flight or freeze probably yeah I didn't open any of them because you're I'm like this is isn't relevant to me this isn't
1: what I'm here for yeah so. I got a lot of
2: like male airline attendants and male pilots and I was like this is not what I wanted but this week we are talking about a phenomenon called male flight, which Keegan brought to my attention recently through a series of TikTok videos yes. that she sent me. Yeah,
1: which I will definitely talk about later and I will give her credit where yeah. it's due because I feel like she brought this phenomenon to a lot of people's attention. Even yeah, it is something that they've been talking about in like academic journals for a while because I, I found quite
2: a few of those, but they were behind paywalls Yeah,
1: or you had to or you had to be in from a school
2: or a Mm -hmm. library and things like that. There were a lot of papers, and it sounds like there are, you know, uh, it was a lot of different variations in the Google machine for me to find different things. And so it was a lot of like sociology, you're like male or sociology or or, like feminization of occupations, feminization of sports, things like that. And so kind of going down it that way as well, I think was really interesting. In because all of this kind of encompasses. Why men think things that are feminine are bad, essentially, why they must flee from what is feminine.
1: Yeah, I mean, this episode is talking about male flight, but it is more broadly talking about male fragility. Like, Mm -hmm. that is really at the crux of this entire thing. And let's talk a little bit about the term. So, Male flight is derived from the term white flight, which is the departure of whites from places such as urban neighborhoods or schools, increasingly or predominantly populated by minorities. So minorities moving into a space and then white people fleeing away from that space. And so this term is derived from that term. So male flight is the phenomenon in which as an activity, occupation, or product is increasingly associated with women, men... Leaf. Yes. <laughs> and like you said, I'd first heard about this phenomenon on TikTok when a user by the handle of Ali underscore 202 underscore had a video on the subject that went viral. Uh, it got like over Millions six million or something. Views. Yeah. Yeah. And she has lots of other really great videos on feminism and stuff. So if you're interested, please go check her out. Definitely want to give her all the credit for bringing this to our attention. Yeah. In her video, she talks about how cheerleading used to be an almost completely male sport. Secretaries used to be men and things like makeup, wigs and high heels were also created for men. And it wasn't until women started making their way into the space that we saw the number of men in that space decrease, which was a fascinating concept to me, right? Right. So veterinarians, for instance, used to be all men, but you may have noticed lately that there are a lot more women on the scene. I mean, my vet is a woman. Mine's a man. Yeah. But whatever, just putting it out there, <laughs> breaking the stereotype. <laughs> but that's because as soon as women started showing up, dudes kind of dipped. So there was this uh, report from the National Library of Medicine that said that in the United States and Canada, women constitute approximately 80 percent of the veterinary college student population. So the study wow. of veterinary school applicants, for example, found that for every one percent increase in the proportion of women in the student body 1.7 fewer men applied yeah which is just like a teensy tiny little increase like there's one percent more women applying to go to the school and for every one woman who applied there was almost two who were like no 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 thank you
2: right exactly well and it is interesting because sociologists in particular have been kind of studying why or how or if this is a phenomenon and there have been many different studies and one that i was reading about was where one man one woman would be told um descriptors of like the opposite of Mm -hmm. their sex so like a man would be told that he was feminine and a woman would be told that they were masculine and in this study when women were described as masculine you know, they would maybe be a little bit like confused or whatever, but there was no sort of like real negative response to that. It was just kind of like took it as it was. But for men who were described as feminine, they would have a much more heated response. And I actually found the findings in this study to be kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. I think this was from like the 80s or 90s. Um, These men also expressed more support for war, homophobic attitudes, and... An interest in purchasing an SUV? Yeah, I read that same thing. I was it's like, from, so manly. <laughs> and I, I
1: put in parentheticals, that last bit is just kind of funny. and I just wrote in
2: parentheticals,
1: so manly. <laughs> yeah. And that's from the University of Chicago Press-Journals. So... Like you said, while men seem to take a front to anything that is female dominated, women don't feel the same way. You know, there are lots of names was an
2: example of male flight, right? Like I actually like- have like a list of a few names because I feel like those would kind of be surprising to people. But yeah, there are names like Ashley, Carol, Vivian, yeah. Doris, Mackenzie, you know, all these Madison, names that, mm-hmm. that we consider to be female names that... Once, you know, upon a time, they were predominantly male. But then Mm -hmm. once, you know, unisex names and things like that came into popularity, more men stopped having those names.
1: Right. It's very interesting how that swings where a unisex name, you almost always think of a unisex name as being more of a boy's name for a girl. Yes. Yeah. And not the other way around. Like Keegan, for instance, is a boy's name. Like, right.
2: Whenever I Quote was unquote. born, it was in... Yes. It's Even though the only other Keegan I've ever known is a girl, my cousin, which I is wild. I know a boy Keegan. I do know one boy Keegan. Did he go to our school? No. Okay. Because I knew a boy Keegan that went to our school that was interesting. <laughs> um,
1: But also yes it is stupid to gender names like that is a dumb thing right you know we're we're not saying it's not but it is a useful but historically you know. <laughs> example for this episode and yeah. whenever i was a kid i mean keegan is a traditionally historically male name masculine right. name and now it is in the
2: unisex portion of the baby book well and that's because girls having masculine traits is like something for a father to be proud of it's something for girls to feel proud of because they're not like the other girls they're tougher they're stronger they're better and they're more like their male counterparts and it's this weird thing which is why like I feel like a lot of young girls when they're called tomboys and things like that it almost is like being you wear that with a badge of honor in a way because women can carry that with a sense of pride because the patriarchy has told us that the closer you are to the you know, same existence as men, the more equal you are. So that's why I can understand why a woman being called masculine wouldn't really be exactly offensive so this is called androcentrism yes
1: that is the propensity to center society around men and men's needs priorities and values and to relegate women to the periphery so androcentrism also positions men as the gender neutral standard while marking women as gender specific which which is why
2: we have you know Firemen, policemen, you know, a lot of the language that we use is very male centric. It's all part of that same term.
1: Yes. And so because of this, the women are often expected to perform femininity because we can't say that throughout history, women haven't been punished in one way or another for masculine traits of course um that's true but they are often admired and rewarded when they perform masculinity and it's just like you said it's very similar to that like not like the other girls trope girls who can perform well with what society considers to be male tasks such as fixing a car wielding a weapon preferring whiskey or beer to fruity cocktails or wine right even though they might experience some backlash, they are often held up as being different or prized or unique, you right. know, interesting. But anything men, that
2: is in the scope of, and like, and you're going to fit in with your guy friends better, you know what I mean? And for a lot of girls, that's another, you know, kind of badge to wear. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and also in a society
1: that was built for men, I think it's also, it speaks to your ability to survive, right? Yes. It's like, that's oh, a great can point. You survive better because you're more able to adapt to a male-centered world or society but for men it's the opposite so since we value masculinity over femininity men being involved in activities that would be traditionally considered female they're scorned they're viewed as weak right right so this can lead to displays of toxic masculinity and I gave um, or Madigan gave an example of masculine overcompensation Which is that thesis from that journal? What was that from? University of Chicago Press Journal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That said that men liked to drive SUVs. So that actually said it's from the masculine overcompensation thesis, and it asserts that men react to masculinity threats with extreme demonstrations of masculinity. And this proposition was tested in a number of studies. One is the one that you mentioned earlier. And then there is another study, which was study three, that showed in a large-scale survey on a diverse sample that men who reported that social changes threatened the status of men also reported more homophobic and prodominance views, support for war, and belief in male superiority. So yeah. any time they felt threatened in their position as the superior, they would become more toxic and more aggressive. And so you see that kind of come into play with this male
2: flight. It's like they're either going to fight it
1: or they're going to leave the space altogether.
2: Exactly. And I think that we would be remiss not to mention how much homophobia comes into play as well. And that was something that became really obvious, not so much in like the sociological studies that I was reading, but also kind of applying it to my own life, Um, especially when talking about cheerleading. I did a whole I went on the cheerleading Wikipedia page I went into like a history of cheerleading website Mm -hmm. I took a whole bunch of notes on it just because I was very fascinated by all of that. But it also really reminded me of figure skating, which is something I know much better than cheerleading. And thinking about how figure skating was traditionally like every other sport for men. Women were not allowed to participate in any of those sort of physical activities. They were there to raise children and cook and clean. And that was about it. And it wasn't until a woman named Madge Syres was the first woman to compete in the male dominated sport in 1902, which opened the door for women to compete. And then since then, it slowly became more of a female dominated sport. And it also became a sport, which I've talked about a lot on this show, that is incredibly homophobic. Yes. Even though the sport has been given this very feminine. Stamp, And it's something that I... Well, because of, yeah. Uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I really witnessed when I was younger, for any skating fans out there, if you remember the rivalry between Johnny Weir and Evan Lysacek. So a lot of us know uh, Johnny Weir mm-hmm. because he's the he's announcer now. Very prominent within that community. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And he is very out loud and proud, but he didn't actually come out until after he quit skating. Um, there was some absolutely horrific homophobic things that were said about Johnny Weir during his time in competing and Evan Lysacek would spur that on a lot. He was a much more masculine, uh, you know, he only wore like all black basic masculine outfits. and kind of. And, yes, yeah. and skated to really strong, Drum heavy music oh, and look at the big bad man exactly and I grew up with guys like that. There's a kid named Alex that I skated with that always was like trying to prove how straight he was all the time, and it was like super obnoxious, right? Um, but then we also see. Um, That's still happening today. Nathan Chen, for example, who is our most recent Olympic champion, who I love very much. You know, he's very young. And in a podcast, he said some things that were a little bit controversial. He expressed his frustrations with the speculations people make about his sexuality because he's a skater. He made some poorly received comments saying, as a straight male athlete in a fairly homosexual dominated sport or LGBTQ dominated sport... That caused a lot of uproar because it's also not. Like if you look at the the whole, mm-hmm. I mean, because a lot of people aren't out. So we don't really even have that statistic. It's also just very
1: weird to gender sports it is very strange
2: and to his credit i watched the video from this podcast and the interviewer kind of was giving him a hard time being like don't you want to play hockey don't you want to like so to me it seemed because it was two guys talking it did kind of seem like this guy was kind of like why would you choose figure skating do they realize uh, it's so frustrating to me
1: just because he's a man and these are both sports that involve skates on ice yeah they're
2: not similar really like they're very different sports right well and he goes on to say there is that connotation and there is that well we don't really want to watch guys skate around and we'd rather watch hockey or watch females do that which I think is pretty messed up in and of itself so although he did make some kind of like sketchy comments about like the queer community and figure skating and things like that he did also bring up the fact that he has experienced some level of homophobia and in himself as well because of the way that mm-hmm. people perceive this sport because you're always not, feeling like you have
1: to quote unquote defend yourself and you and don't it's not even have to anything. but people make you right. feel like
2: you have to exactly. and because yeah. if you're gay that makes you less of a man or anything like that and like it's this horrible stereotype that's been around forever and the fact that you know we see it continuing to this day in sports I mean Adam Rippon in 2016 um, was in big trouble for wearing this like little tiny mesh top. Yeah, I remember. And there are like all of these really uh particular rules. Like men still can't wear tights, they have to wear pants. And up until recently, like up until my last year of skating, I'm pretty sure women couldn't wear pants. What are you so scared of? Like these people who make these
1: rules, I'm like, what do you think is gonna it happen is to this, you if you see a man in tights? Well, like, it is
2: this old white run sport just like all of them are, that are so focused on their image that they're actually ruining their fucking image because they're focused on it so much. And I think a lot of that is very similar when you look at things like cheerleading and you look at men that are in cheerleading. And then I also know some men that play volleyball. Yeah. And how men are treated that enjoy playing volleyball. Especially like beach volleyball
1: and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. But um cheerleading is a big one, a big one. I mean, having been a, cheer- a cheerleader when Bring It On was a big deal or right after Bring It On I've was a big deal. i still never seen that movie. First of all, look, it's got issues, of course, because right. of the year it came out. But for me, it's very nostalgic. It's very nostalgic for me. Uh, I love that movie. Um, but there's homophobia in that movie. The movie kind of says, it makes a lot of gay jokes and says like, well, you're either gay or you have to defend yourself where you're like, I'm not gay. This is just where I get to hang out with all the chicks. Like you right? have to be like hyper masculine or gay to be a male cheerleader. Right. And, and those are the only two kind of like acceptable things. And you're always, again, defending your heterosexuality. Exactly. If you
2: aren't gay. Which is like so messed up. You don't have to do that. Just right. love who you I mean, love.
1: And then also, you know, and we're going to we're about to go into this whole section of it. Um, Or I do have a lot to say on this section of it it. But since we're talking about cheerleading, the other part of it is because it is so predominantly female as a sport, even though it wasn't always, but it is now. The way people diminish cheerleading as
2: not a sport
1: yeah, or diminish the Which amount. would
2: not happen if men were still right. prominent because in the sport. It is
1: so physically taxing. Yeah.
2: Uh, if gymnastics is a sport, why isn't cheerleading right. a sport? I think yeah. that like, so in my high school, our, we had two cheer teams and there was one for like the football games and they sucked. They just stood there and moved their arms and they mm-hmm. didn't really do anything. Like, you have one cartwheel in there. But then there was like our competition team where they were like gymnasts and they would do crazy trips and routines and like obviously it takes a lot of talent and skill and endurance and all of these things right you yeah. can't look at that i mean if you've watched cheer on netflix you see that the, it takes the same energy as any other sport would but it is still a debate that people have constantly and people will give Well, all and that's of what's so that. wild because you know we talked about it just reminds me a little bit of talking about mental health last week and how i feel like you know, back in ancient times, we had a better grasp on mental health than we do now. And I think that, you know, cheerleading started as being like just as important as the football players. Because when football first started, there were no fans. And then when there were fans, they were unruly and wild. So they wanted someone to be there to kind of like lead the crowd in cheer. And I think it's funny, it was actually someone who like went to Princeton and then went to the University of Minnesota that actually started the first cheer team at the U of M, which I'm like, that's really cool. And it was really about like the physical fitness of the men and the skills that they could do, and the chance—I mean, they are the rah rah Shish creators here. Mm-hmm. Yet we look at it as diminished cheerleading so much. I think, especially yes. because of how it's evolved in sports culture. Yeah. I'm watching the show Winning and in pop culture as well. Yeah, have you watched? I think it's called Winning Time on HBO. No, not yet. It is so good. It's about Adam the, McKay about it's, the Lakers. right? It's about the Lakers, mm-hmm. but it's like about like the Showtime Lakers going from like basic basketball games to like entertainment at the forum and shortening those skirts and making everything sexy and hot and exciting and floor seats and everything like that. And it raises that level of like sex appeal in cheerleading yeah. as well, mm-hmm. which is also going to be something that the we equate a of cheerleading. Exactly. Like, yeah, we equate is, that like sexiness with women as well. So having a man in that doesn't which make sense to society. Also,
1: which, is, which has allowed also, people to mistreat cheerleaders like we see it all the time with professional cheerleaders the amount of like sexual harassment and objectification that happens to these women who are athletes like anyone who's who is cheerleading at a professional level had to have gone through competitive cheer and competitive cheer if you are cheering in competitions it is High level.
2: Yeah, like, it's just, it's like every other sport, but people that don't experience it and don't see it don't have that same understanding. And I mean, that's a whole other theme part side of female-dominated sports that's so fucked up. I mean, the... The, I'm going to say the costumes, the uniforms for the be- beach volleyball players, oh, yeah, yeah. the amount of harassment I got from grown men wearing skirts growing up skating for dancers, people who are used to maybe showing their bodies a little bit more and they're comfortable with that, how they're treated when they're out in the world because yeah. of it. That's totally not what we're talking about, but I think it all kind of goes yeah, I mean, into the same umbrella where femininity is just so weaponized. Yeah, it, yes. And so... Before
1: we go into talking about that a little bit more and about how people tend to lose respect for these jobs that become, quote-unquote, feminized or these um, sports or whatever else it is, let's take a really quick break, and we will be right back. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream.
0: So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Okay, and we're back. So, because of everything that we have just talked about, because of all of this, perhaps the most frustrating yet unsurprising thing about the male flight phenomenon is that, in the words of Ali from TikTok... Quote, when these things become feminine, instead of gaining respect for the women who can do them, we lose respect for the sport or the job. Because you would think like, okay, wow, a woman can do what a man can do. This is incredible. Right. But instead, we just say, how can she do it? (laughs) We just say, well, that must not have been that good in the first place. Yeah, that must not have been that difficult difficult. right, in the first place. So, again, this is from the National Library of Medicine Study on Gender and Veterinary Medicine. The feminization of veterinary medicine has also changed the profession in other ways. Many of these changes are desirable. Others may be less so. Income may have been compromised. There may be less interest in practice ownership. And fewer graduates may be entering large animal practice. So those two things that I kind of want to focus on is income may be compromised because of the number of women who are going into this field and that there may may be less interest in this field. And I feel like- men
2: are worried about losing that prestige that they have with having certain jobs if women are also part of it. And I think this is interesting because I didn't expect my research to take this turn where I'm gonna be talking about the wage gap. But I do think it's really interesting how all of this, from what I read, really does have a lot to do with the gender wage gap. Yes, it has a ton to do with it. And I find that kind
1: of funny because... MRAs on our Instagram are so fond of telling us all the time that the wage gap does not exist. Right. (laughs) And I'm here to tell you that the wage gap
2: absolutely exists. It absolutely does exist. And funnily enough, all of this kind of started back in the 1970s during the second wave of feminism when women were starting to kind of go out and stake their claim in more male dominated spaces. And men were not too fond of all of this. So let's talk a little bit about why men don't want women in their occupations or careers. Well, before
1: we jump into that, let me just throw out this statistic really quickly. So according to the United States Bureau of Labor Statistics, the gender composition of a job is the single largest contributor to the gender wage gap. It's above all things, including unionization. So we're talking about like the feminine, the more feminine a field becomes, the larger we see this wage gap, gap increase. Right. So if you want your job to pay well, you should go into a male dominated field. And that's an issue for
2: a lot of reasons. 100%. Yeah, because then you're you're also really limiting yourself to what you want to do and you're having to like think like a man and like find a job in something else, but honestly, I feel like it's even just the wording for some of these jobs that makes them pay differently. Like for example, the median earnings of information technology managers, which are mostly men, are 27% higher than human resources managers, Mm -hmm. which is mostly women. Yes, The median wage for janitors, mostly men, is 22% higher than maids and house cleaners that are mostly women. So to me, that's a janitor and a maid and a house cleaner, to me, seem to be relatively similar in occupation. Right, right?
1: especially if you're talking about, say, a maid in a hotel who's expected, because I could see the difference being made in terms of like, OK, we're talking about a housekeeper who works maybe in a in a home. Right. As opposed to a janitor or a custodian who is maybe working for an entire business or a building right. like cleaning a whole building. But maids, for instance, who work
2: in hotels are doing a similar amount. Exactly. Of, of work. As know. a janitor would we'll be doing an, in a large mm-hmm. office or things like that. Overall, in fields where men are the majority, the median pay is about $962 a week, which is 21% higher in occupations with the majority of women. Differences in the type of work men and women do accounts for 51% of the pay gap, a larger portion than in 1980, according to another study. So that goes to show you that because of the differences in work that I think women have been encouraged to do or have made their way into, it's giving... It's giving companies more excuse to pay them less. And that's also kind of why men don't want to join. Typically, feminine careers because they say that, you know, if you're in an office full of women and you're the one man, you're going to be paid the same as those women. You're not going to be getting above. Which is also not true. Exactly. A lot
1: of notes on that as well. It actually benefits men to go into jobs that are predominantly women. Because because you will probably get promoted
2: so fucking fast. They will.
1: Like, and that's another frustrating thing is like men tend to move up the ladder in traditionally feminized careers or jobs or occupations rather um, than women in those careers. It's why you will see a lot of teachers. Teachers are the vast majority of teachers are women, but the majority of principals and superintendents are men. Yeah. Like, you know, and that's just a common trend that you've seen throughout time. I mean, that was a big thing anecdotally from whenever I used to watch a lot of like beauty YouTubers. Right. That was a thing that a lot of women beauty YouTubers or beauty gurus in quotes (laughs) used to have issues with is that not men being in the beauty space, not men being interested in makeup and all of that stuff, but the fact that you have Jeffree Star who is getting paid astronomically more than other beauty YouTubers who have maybe been in that sphere for a lot longer who are women. Totally. Uh, And again, this is a traditionally feminine, historically feminine
2: space. Right. Well, I also read that when women started becoming designers more often, like fashion designers, yes. that occupation also took a huge hit and dropped by 34% in wages after women started right. joining even, the career. Right. But even with things like that, like hairdressing, choreography, right. design, we
1: tend to have men holding the top positions. Can
2: I tell you something that's kind of horrible that we used to say in skating? Because when you're young, they don't split you up between the sexes when you compete, the boys would get penis points because they want to keep the boys in the sport. So they want the boys to win. So if I was competing against a boy, I knew that I had to skate really, really good because they want they're going to like him no matter what mm-hmm. and like I that's yeah. probably also really fucked up but that was something that was just super common and i've heard it in like dance and stuff too where it's like oh they got their penis points because there's a boy on the floor or on right. the ice you yeah. know it's very
1: interesting I, because i do feel like men are given this this extra grace uh in women's spheres i think they're seen as like brave almost like oh my
2: gosh you're so different and we are
1: impressed that they're able to do this right like we see a man do his makeup his own makeup as expertly as any woman
2: or maybe even better than some of the women that you've seen and 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 that almost makes it
1: more impressive it is yeah whereas women doing the same thing is not always viewed that way like women in a male-dominated you know sphere is not viewed the same way right But that trend we've seen across occupations. So up until the late 1800s, for instance, clerical and secretarial work had been seen as, quote, arduous labor and considered too strenuous for women. But by the 1930s, what was once considered to be labor was now considered to be a skill of dexterity. And women were almost exclusively sought after for the job. And once that happened, pay plummeted so whenever it was male secretaries and I think that part of it is that there was this expectation that well men when they have a job they're having to take care of their families whereas when women have a job it's just extra income it's just right. Fun money right like it's just and not taken why it is seriously. That still
2: like carried over to this day like that's so frustrating because that's so clearly not how women operate anymore because I feel like in the 1950s that's something that you could say, you know. Oh, she's working part time. Whatever. This is a funner thing for her to do. But, but now, even then,
1: there were oh, single it's always parents. shitty. You know, they were single moms. It's you know?
2: always shitty. Yeah. But I can almost see it more then, and I can't. I can't forgive it now you know that women are more than just like working for funsies well, now we've
1: decided that that labor isn't difficult it's like that term unskilled labor that we yeah. talked about there really is no unskilled labor but we like to put that label on things that poor people do or women do yeah you know like for some reason we seem to think that being a custodian is unskilled labor or yeah. being someone who like maybe works at a construction site, but sitting in an office all day working at an ad agency yeah. is skilled labor because it requires what a certain amount of education. Yeah, you know,
2: it's actually interesting. A uh, quick aside: I listened to the most recent episode of Crimes of the Centuries, and uh, it was really good. And so they they talk about like why people want to keep the poor poor, and yeah. so on and so forth. It's really fascinating. If you all want to go listen to that, but that kind of reminded me of it as well, like why we want to keep certain minority groups down. Yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, and certainly that is a situation that was happening with women as well. Yeah. It's just
2: like... It's like forced sterilization and things like that because they were poor, and eugenics and things like that. Yes. All the shittiness. Yeah, but even in
1: this, right? Like, so... I was listening to a... You're Wrong About episode, which if you don't listen to You're Wrong About, it's great. I really enjoy it. But they were talking about urban legends. And in the urban legend about the babysitter, they were talking about like, why do we have all these urban legends where the babysitter is at fault? Like, it's never the parents. Like, it's always the babysitter's at fault. Like, the babysitter accidentally puts your baby in the oven or the you know, <laughs> babysitter gets the kid killed or whatever because yeah. you're not home. And one theory was that there was all this angst towards babysitters because... The prevalence of babysitters allowed women to leave the house and seek jobs outside of the home
2: because there was someone at home to watch their children. Almost like a scary story to keep women from leaving their children at home with other people. Yes. And saying, We need you there. Without you, your baby's going to die. Right. Yeah. There was Mm. all of this. And maybe
1: that was subconscious, but there was all of this. I mean, totally. But that's what it sounds like, Mm -hmm. you know? And I feel like not only did they pay women less or did they start to pay women less when more women went into these fields? Also, probably something that we're not even talking about is that the expectation that women, they were like, well, I didn't have a job before, so I have a job now. It's cool that it pays me a quarter an hour. I'm yeah. not going to
2: fight for more money. Right, of course. And I think that for a long time, you know, talking about how women started getting involved in the workforce in the first place and the different reasons why women started getting you know, jobs and careers of their own when they were really told to go against that. I think that that kind of explains a lot of it as well. Yes. So uh, all of this makes it very clear that it is not
1: that we value the work that is being done less. We just value the type of worker less. Of course. And when women dominate in a field, we just tend to lose respect for that field completely. The value that we assign professions are largely arbitrary, and they're tied up in patriarchy and male fragility more than anything else. Totally. That's what I came out of my research on this topic. Yeah. You know, came out of it with, but it all presents like a really interesting question, which is that as women tend to move into more fields, right? Like, even though there are lots of hurdles, even though things are much more difficult, there's not a field you can't enter into now, right? right. Like if you want to enter into a field, you can do that. And so-
2: Well, and that, one of the things that I was reading too is like now women are more educated than men. They yes, have exactly. almost as much work experience. Mm-hmm. There are so many reasons why women are feeling empowered to be part of any occupation that they want. Yeah, women are significantly more likely to complete
1: college than men are. So what happens when employers have no choice but to start hiring women in greater numbers to previously male dominated fields like will the value of those jobs continue to go down like as has been the trend or will they be forced to value men and women in the same measure I don't know I think they're
2: gonna have to like that's kind of how I it mean feels. eventually yeah I mean I'm and I'm hoping that it won't just be because they'll have to but because we will have made the strides needed in order for that to become possible.
1: Yeah. I mean, I keep talking about it. I have thought about like, what are some examples of male flight in modern times? Because a lot of these examples feel very old. They feel very dated. Yeah. Like you talk about flight attendance was a big one um, where that was another one where the pay went significantly down. Uh, and I've seen a lot of people having that conversation about video games. Mm. That that was why there was such a strong reaction to like Gamergate and trying to force women out of that sphere, out of this kind of like nerdy sphere. Like that's kind of the next frontier, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Let women enter into the jock sphere and the science sphere and like let us have our D&D and video games, yeah. like, you know, to ourselves. No girls allowed. Right, but it has become a progressively more feminized for lack of a better word environment. Right. Gaming.
2: Yeah. Oh, and I mean, if you're if we're really going to pull far far back on this, I mean, I think it just goes to show you too just how damaging any sort of gender norms and gender expectations are. On us as people. And we've had many different discussions on the podcast throughout the years about different examples of this, whether it be, you know, like names that we discussed or, you know, the colors blue and pink you know Mm -hmm. it used to be that blue was a feminine color because of the Virgin Mary and pink is a lighter tone of red which was supposed to be more masculine Mm -hmm. obviously Um, and that eventually switched like during World War II and all that kind of stuff so it is interesting to kind of look back on how gender as a whole and needing to keep us in this binary and this hierarchy is damaging and I'm hoping that not only will there be improvements made when it comes to the gender wage gap between men and women, but also opening the door to other identities and other people who are probably at a greater disadvantage than cisgendered women are as well. So I think it is really great to kind of take a look at this and see how gender expectations in general can be so damaging to so many different facets of life. Yeah, I think that this is also a really good example of
1: the ripple effect, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think that you could look at this and you could say... Uh, eh, that's not really that big a deal, you know, like, ugh, men just don't want to be cheerleaders anymore, right? Like, what's the big deal? Yeah, what's the harm? What's the harm? And I think if you look more closely at it and you look at why that is societally, why that is, what that says about what we think about women um, and how we treat women and see that it ripples down into what we pay women, what we think women are worth. And how we treat women. Yeah, yeah, that I think... Um, examining it more closely is
2: important to do. I think it's important to take
1: a close look at it. So
2: I'm hoping that this phenomenon, this concept, becomes something more widely researched and discussed, especially because we did have a little bit, at least I felt like I had a harder time finding articles of what I wanted you know what I mean of like the things that I was looking for there's not even a
1: Wikipedia page on this no there's
2: Wikipedia pages for things kind of surrounding it but there was no like Wikipedia base for me to jump off of or anything like that so I hope that if anything this concept and phenomenon is discussed more openly because if anything the more we educate people about these things and particularly educate men about these things it is a bit eye-opening like even telling the boy I used to nanny for because he thought pink was so repulsive telling him the history of those colors and just kind of being like you know what what you think is wrong <laughs> you know what i mean like let's look at this subjectively color right. cannot I mean, be gendered and also yeah why do you think that
1: something that's associated with girls women and girls is
2: gross is gross like yeah. what's
1: what's the issue there because yes we've you know we said it already but like on the opposite side of that it was cool for me to be like into boys colors and into boys things yep. and playing with boys toys, right? Like that made me like a cool chick. Yeah. Whereas like men are picked on and made fun of for those things. And I do think that we are moving more and more away from gender being this binary, right? Of just like one or the other. And so maybe these conversations will become fewer and
2: further between when we start. Or just much more nuanced too. Mm-hmm. I think that- Just in intersectionality in general, the more we open the conversation up, the more chances there are for everybody to be helped along the way. You know what I mean? I think it's all about opening our eyes to other people's experiences as well to help get to where we want to go. It would be really nice
1: for people to be able to just kind of be people and to say like, you know, regardless of the biological sex of whatever child I have, I just really like the name Brittany and I'm going to name this baby, Britney, and it not be this like you want to name a kid, Britney. I didn't know that about you. I actually really do not, want to Britney, <laughs> but I, was, I was like, wait, what? I've never heard this before. Not against Britney's, oh, my God, all, that's but, so funny. Um, just because it, it Brittany is another one that was a, yeah, considered to be a boy's name. You I know?
2: actually was really fascinated by the different names. Did you know that Margaret was originally a boy's that name? I did not know, I did not know Margaret or Carol. Yeah, okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna end with some interesting, um, boy-turned-girl-name facts here. So Ashley fell off the male charts in 1995. Carol fell off the charts after the 1920s, but it was actually very popular for boys in the 1920s, Carol. You
1: know what? Now that you say that, I'm like, God, that, I feel like maybe there's an author or somebody.
2: There are some like famous people thrown in here that I mentioned. So like for Vivian, that dropped off the male charts in 1934. But there is a heavy metal guitarist named Vivian Campbell and an educator slash activist by the name of Vivian Wilson Henderson. And they are both male Viv's. Doris was prominent in boys until the 1920s as well. Hillary fell off the male charts in 1932. There are famous male Hillarys, including philosopher Hillary Whitehall Putnam, which I feel like I, I've heard that name before. Mackenzie didn't fall off mm-hmm. the male charts until 2002. Leslie, we know you know Leslie Odom Jr. There are some other Leslies I feel like that we have heard of that are men, but it did fall off the male charts in 1998. Did you know that Bob Hope's real name was Leslie? I did not. I didn't know that either. That's his real first name. Well, and we have good old Lindsey Graham, and there's also U.S. President Leslie Lynch King Jr. Who is that? I have no idea. Gerald Ford. What? That's Gerald Ford's real name, Leslie Lynch King Jr. Whoa. Right? I feel like you must have told me that because we talked about We him. talked about him. So I'm like, I must have known this before, but I, I did not register. Um, but then I already mentioned Margaret. So I'm going to mention Joyce. That fell off in 1947. And there was a novelist by the name of Joyce Carey that was a male. So doesn't it make you feel a little
1: silly? Yeah, I remember these like we have these like snap feelings yes. about something that literally a hundred years ago was was, a, was considered no to be big a deal. I mean, like, it's there's so an silly. Ashley in Little Women. That's yeah. a boy. Yeah, there's an I mean, I think that there's an Ashley in Gone
2: with the Wind, too. I think you might be right yeah. with that. Yeah, it's just it's interesting how much all of that changes. Well, that's all I've got in my notes.
1: Do you have anything else you want to add? That is all I have in my notes, too. So this was a bit of a shorter episode. But like we said, there was not a lot of like hard evidence, (laughs) research (laughs) research things to be discussed that we could find on this topic. But... That kind of made me want to talk about it more because yeah. I was like, I feel like maybe this is something that a lot of people don't know about or don't think about. Exactly. And it does have repercussions. You and know? I
2: think it's a really great way for us to kind of close off our Women's History Month because mm-hmm. it's kind of one final thing that I feel like is uh, something that all women can relate to in some way, shape or form that we've you know gone through in our lives so I hope that you all enjoyed another Women's History Month. If there's any merch that you want to check out, you can go to the link in our bio on our Instagram or go to the link in the show notes wherever you're listening. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the other listeners on the group page. Last but certainly not least, the best way you can support Keegan and I is by leaving us a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It truly does mean so much to us and it really does help. Um, All right, that's all we got for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to to rage on.
0: Bye-bye. Sometimes investigative podcasts tell stories that seem almost too weird to be true. So just how wild can a fiction podcast following that same format get? You can find out on Conference Call, a Paradiso Media production presented by Realm. Conference call follows journalist Charlotte Dunn as she uncovers the story of two entrepreneurs, the Toad Bros. Pieced together from the hilariously cringe-worthy phone calls within their company, Charlotte details the incompetence, fraud, and betrayal of this eccentric pair and their unwitting partner who was just looking for her big break in Silicon Valley. Starring Elizabeth Henstridge, Jeff Ward, Gregory Stees, and Emma Roberts, and featuring guests like Karen Gillan, Beck Bennett, Dimi DiGiwebe, and many more, Conference Call blends the workplace weirdness of The Office with the cadence of a true crime podcast. Be sure to listen and subscribe to Conference Call wherever you get your podcasts or learn more at realm.fm.